Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, some room to grow for the president's management agenda vision. There's an opportunity to make this more meaningful, and hopefully they'll do that as they begin to flush this out. The critical message that's still not getting through in a maximum telework environment. I continue to be amazed um, in my discussions with clients, potential clients, and just others in casual conversation about the lack of understanding with cybersecurity. And a simple measure for success for the cyber hiring system at DHS. Are the positions filled? We've got a lot of cybersecurity vacancies. This should enable us to fill them. It's Tuesday, November 30th, 2021. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. The Biden administration has a nominee for the top acquisition job at the Pentagon. Bill LaPlante is the administration's choice to become the next undersecretary for acquisition and sustainment. LaPlante's a veteran of the Obama administration. He was the Air Force's acquisition leader from 2013 to 2015. Open space floor plans at federal buildings could prevent agencies from bringing employees back to offices at pre-pandemic levels permanently, according to the Office of Inspector General at the General Services Administration. IG Carolyn Ochoa writes the agency should, quote, assess the effect of COVID-19 and future pandemics on the viability of open space design concepts. The recommendations, part of the GSA OIG's assessment of GSA's management and performance challenges for fiscal 2022. Eligible agriculture department employees can telework or work remotely up to eight days out of 10 each pay period permanently under new rules from the agency. The Assistant Secretary of Administration at USDA, Oscar Gonzalez, writes to agency employees they'll still have to report to their regular work sites, quote, at least twice each pay period on a regular and recurring basis. Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack expanded telework and remote work access temporarily when he became secretary again last year. You can read more about all these headlines and lots of other stories at fedscoop.com. A huge list of technology stars is coming to the Security Transformation Summit this Thursday. Speakers from CISA, the Defense Digital Service, NASA Goddard Space Flight Center, and a lot of other federal agencies will be at this virtual event. You can see the agenda and sign up now through the link in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The new president's management agenda vision includes three main priorities with strategies under each for agencies to execute. The first priority is strengthening the federal workforce. Rafael Boris is president and chief executive officer of the Homeland Security and Defense Business Council. He's former undersecretary for management at the Department of Homeland Security. Rafael, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. What do you see at an agency execution level when you look at the president's management agenda vision? Welcome. Oh, uh, thank you, Francis. It's great to be with you this, uh, uh, for this show and for this discussion. Uh, you know, I, I can't say that I'm the biggest fans of these uh, presidential management agendas. Um, and th- there's a reason for that. Uh, you know, when you live in the agency and you're consumed by your own agency's needs, and you have to recognize every agency is different. Uh, every agency is living at a different stage of maturity. Certainly, the Homeland Security Department, when I joined in 2010, uh, had some way to go to be able to catch up to the maturity level of other agencies. Uh, uh, but, you know, 
these management visions, you know, they can be helpful. I thought, you know, when I first joined the federal government uh, in the in the 1990s, uh, the president's management agenda, you know, was all about reinventing government. And that created a considerable amount of energy and action and freed up, uh, I think, a lot of the workforce to really push and say, you know, here's a crazy idea. Maybe we can do this. And it fits under this rubric of reinventing government. And uh, uh, I'll tell you, you know, you know, one of the things that one of my folks came to me when I was at the Department of Commerce was, uh, it's going to sound so old fashioned right now, but he said, you think we can put the commerce business daily online so that people don't have to read this voluminous <laughs> document? And, you know, we did it. I don't remember how we did it. Uh, I didn't play a big role in getting it done other than saying, go for it. But uh, that's what I'm talking about. So these president management agendas can serve as a catalyst. Uh, uh, when I look at this particular uh, uh, management agenda, I would describe it more as a management vision. Uh, and, uh, you know, there, there are some you know, nice things in it. Uh, it remains to be seen how it gets put into play. Uh, what are the ground rules? Will agencies be required to orient their budget submissions around these uh, these priorities? Uh, will monies be dedicated uh, uh, predominantly to reinforce these actions? Uh, that's what I looked at when I saw this uh, management agenda. You go right where uh, everybody wise in Washington has always advised me to go when looking at these things, uh, when you talk about the budget. Um, there are a lot of things here that it strikes me for an agency the size of DHS or even a smaller agency budget priorities would have to realign, would have to be reshaped by the leadership in order to really effectively execute on this vision. Am I reading that right? Yeah, I think so. I think so. And, you know, there, there's there's one other thing that, uh, uh, that I think is important, uh, particularly at this time, where we are today, we're living through the pandemic, uh, you know, God knows, so we may be living uh, for some time under these constraints. Uh, uh, you know, we have all the economic fallout from that. Uh, uh, but then at the same time, on the positive side, we have an infrastructure bill that has been passed. Uh, there is movement uh, for another bill uh, that would require a lot of spending uh, and therefore a lot of government action. Uh, uh, I, I think this would have been a perfect opportunity to have this management agenda be more specific to the time uh, to be able to mobilize the workforce, mobilize uh, the community, uh, uh, get Congress to buy in. Um, and I would say, you know, it's, it's, it's not a bad document, but they buried the lead. What do I mean by that? They buried the lead because when you go through uh, the document, uh, uh, you know, you have to work your way through it uh, to considerable distance to get to some of these key priorities. Take cybersecurity, for example. Uh, unless I misread it, uh, you have to get to page 37 before uh, they mention uh, cybersecurity is an important component of this. So uh, there was an opportunity here to perhaps organize around uh, the need for government to be able to execute these priorities, uh, uh, do the things, whether they're grant, uh, they talk about grants, but organize in such a way that this is the priority. We're going to focus on executing uh, government uh, along the lines to make sure that we're executing around the pandemic or executing around the infrastructure bill and all of the things that uh, that that entails and possibly around build back better. Uh, so there was, I think, an opportunity to galvanize folks around that, reinforce 
the president's uh, major priority. Uh, but it got caught up in a lot of vision statements. And look, these these are documents put together largely by committee, and it reads like it was put together by a committee. So given that, if I'm at the top of an agency, whether it's a big one like DHS or another one, <laughs> am I thinking of this as something that is a sign of things to come, given that this is a vision and not the hard PMA, and I'll wait and see what's really in the full PMA? Or should I start doing something something today? Or how, how seriously do I look at this and how much action do I take based off of this in your view, Raphael? Well, two, two things. You know, first of all, it's, it's, it, it's more about, I think, a value statement. Uh, so the value of empowering the federal workforce, uh, the value around the experience of government. And there's no great detail in what that means, but that it's expressing a value that we want government to be responsive. Uh, we want the user experience to be uh, uh, enhanced. Uh, so those are easy, I think, for agencies to uh, articulate a message that among the things that we're going to be looking at is to make sure that we're expressing, uh, you know, a common value set around the federal government. Uh, but when you get into the sort of the nitty gritty, uh, I think most agencies will wait to see what the details are going to be when, when the when the budget process fires up and you get that guidance letter. You know, will there be hard and fast requirements for budget submissions to align around this this PMA or vision statement? Or will there be you know, some considerable work that has to be done to be able to sort of fill out the blanks and be able to make sure that we're touching the things that are important today, like cybersecurity, uh, addressing the, uh, the, 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 you know, the, the mitigating ransomware and a lot of the other things that are making daily news. And I think that's important because you know, government employees are like the general public. They read the same you know, newspapers, they listen to the same radio stations and TV stations. They're concerned about the same issues. And if you want to empower employees, you really need to be able to say, this is speaking directly to you, not only as a government employee, uh, uh, but as an individual, as a parent, uh, et cetera. Uh, so there's an opportunity to make this more meaningful and hopefully they'll do that as they be begin to flush this out. What is missing here, if anything, as you review this, Raphael? Uh, you know, really important piece of, uh, of this puzzle is the role that industry plays in supporting the execution of government services. There's no discussion here other than, you know, attempts to fix the acquisition process, which we've been talking about that for, you know, forever. Uh, and we have to recognize that much of government gets executed through the services provided by uh, industry partners. Uh, so there's a lot of talk here about the various constituencies. And I think there was a missed opportunity to signal uh, the importance in that partnership between government and industry, uh, which is all about the business of government. And there is reference here to the business of government, but the business of government today uh, uh, that does not get executed without the involvement of industry. So what does that mean? How does that play out? How will we bridge that gap and work closer with industry? Uh, what are the right ways to hold industry accountable for delivering performance? Uh, you can't separate uh, today the execution of these, prob uh, of these programs. And, uh, uh, you know, you talk about accountability, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the progress or lack thereof without looking and examining that interaction between those who are managing the activities in government and those in industry who are executing. Uh, 
And it takes both sides to make it work. So I think that was an important piece that uh, uh, that I'd like to see incorporated here because they're 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 a critical partner. Raphael Boris, thanks very much for coming on the program. It's great to have you. Thank you, Francis. Great to be with you. You can read more about the president's management agenda vision in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Department of Homeland Security has openings for hundreds of cyber professionals. It also has new power to hire those people and pay them more. The chief human capital officer at DHS, Angela Bailey, tells you about those powers in just a few minutes on today's Daily Scoop podcast. The Biden administration's putting off the enforcement element of its vaccine mandate for federal employees until the new year. But the new Omicron variant of the coronavirus may throw a wrinkle into the reopening plans of federal agencies. Renee Wynn is former chief information officer at NASA. Renee, welcome. It's great to see you again. All right. You and I sat down and had a terrific conversation at ELC with ACT-IAC in the beginning of the month. And as soon as we turned off the recorder, you and I started to talk about what happens next for CIOs. And I said, well, geez, I wish I would have had the recorder going for that. I'm thrilled to have you come back and talk about that today because with this new variant, with the vaccine mandate, and then the changes in that, it really makes thinking about spring 22, uh, fiscal year 22 planning or 23 planning and so on, really difficult for information technology leaders in government, doesn't it, Renee? Welcome. Thank you, Francis. It's great to be here. And I want to wish you just a very happy and healthy holiday season as we sort of close our second year in our new, it's really a new paradigm, right? At this point, let's not talk in terms of we're going back to this, we're going back to that, right? We're we're adjusting. And, and as you and I talked briefly before, I think right now, most of us need to be thinking about both our personal and professional lives in terms of building from pandemic to permanent. Um, and as I think about that, I say to myself, just like everything, when I was a CIO, first broke down to people, process, and technology. And I think that's how I'm going to formulate my remarks here with you in our conversation uh, to help others kind of think through what their challenges are in front of you. And of course, the way I look at challenges, you know, never let a crisis go to waste. Yeah. It's a great way to get some stuff done. That's right. Um, I'd, I'd love that term uh, build from pandemic to permanent. I warned you before we turned the recorder on that I might steal it. So I'm glad you got it out before I did. But the people piece of this strikes me as the most important thing and, and not just the availability of people to do the work of the agency, but given where we are broadly as an economy and the willingness of people to vote with their feet and leave situations where they don't feel safe and they don't feel comfortable, regardless of the pay and regardless, in quite frankly, of the mission. Um, you know, I'm seeing reports that some agencies are having staffing issues outside of the Beltway area because of all of the things that we're seeing in, in this great resignation concept. What's that mean for somebody in your shoes in an agency now who's thinking about the IT posture and the infrastructure of that organization regarding their people, Renee? So I think from the people perspective um, and looking forward through the pandemic, whenever we get out of that, although I don't know that we ever will, it's in, the viruses are really good at evolving. Um, and so who knows what's next for that. And so I think from a people perspective, the first thing 
ask yourself as an individual, have you set the right boundaries? And boundaries are flexible uh, for your home life and your work life. And, And if you haven't set those boundaries in a way that makes you mentally healthy, then ask yourself, how can I do that better? There's another piece to that puzzle and that's bosses. And I'm intentionally using managers and supervisors and not leaders because at this point, if your people are getting pressure from you, either by your verbal or nonverbal actions, we can still see everybody on Zoom or WebEx or some other way. If your verbal and your nonverbal as a manager and supervisor don't match in terms of pushing your people, yes, to be productive, yes, to deliver, and yes, to deliver to themselves mentally. We need to exercise that piece, just like we exercise the human body when we go for runs or lift weights or go for walks. So those pieces need to be tied in. And if you haven't done that now, you need to get to work. We were talking also about USDA issuing that, you know, eight days can be remote out of a 10-day work period. And so you're coming in the office twice in a period of a two of two weeks. So you better have these boundaries set and know that things are not static, they're dynamic. Um, and, and that's where we get going with the people part is making sure that we are taking care of our people so they'll take care of the work. It's striking to me that I have a former agency CIO on this program and we're probably two thirds or more into the conversation and we're just now getting to the technology piece of this, Renee. What does the infrastructure of a successful IT organization look like six months from now or two years from now or five years from now that it doesn't look like today and certainly probably didn't look like 18 months or 24 months ago? Yeah. Um, so I would break it down to IT services delivery and cybersecurity. And since the, um, I've had some amazing chief information security officers support me and really teach me well, I'm going to start with cybersecurity. And the first thing is that I think is a little bit scary are home networks and home printers. You, you got to use them. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how they're secured. You know, did somebody put their refrigerator on the same network as their printer, as their endpoint device? And if they live in an apartment building or close proximity, if you don't have the right password on and next door is a hacker, they're in your system. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I'm a little bit more secluded. I can't see my neighbor's networks and you can't see my network by the time you get to the end of the driveway. So I feel fairly secure about what we've done. But I've even partitioned my home network and certain devices don't, don't go on certain parts of it. You don't know what others have done within their home. So that really messes with your defense in depth. The other part then in the blend to IT services most and very important component in the way we work is having our computers or and our mobile devices. So what if my computer breaks? I'm now down five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, my stress levels going up. I'm going to want to switch over to my home device to use it. Well, in the government, it doesn't have two-factor authentication. It doesn't have certain protections on it because it allows me to do it. I can do everything on my computer that I know how to do. So now you have to rethink your defense in depth. And there's a number of actually really good both products as well as services out there 
that can make sure if somebody has to flip over to a home device and they're using a VPN, that that home device is in top shape from a cybersecurity perspective. What do I mean top shape? A, they're not using Windows XP. They're not using you know, old versions of Windows that they've done the latest update on their Windows or their operating system for Apple, or if they have a Linux computer, they're doing that. So you can take a quick look and make sure that all the patches have been put on that computer and then allow them to use it as a stopgap measure. And you can give them two-factor authentication from a temporary perspective if you've built that into your infrastructure. If you've not, you now now to re-roadmap your infrastructure to support IT service delivery end-to-end, end-to-end meaning from office to work, and then your cybersecurity needs to be built from the same end-to-end perspective. So there's hopefully there's funding available to do this and people are really starting to think differently about rebuilding for this permanent blended um, work environment. We're starting to run out of time and I need to have you come back and talk about the IT services delivery piece of this because I don't want to leave without sharing an anecdote that I think a lot of people haven't thought about. A friend of mine came over over the Thanksgiving holiday, wanted to get on my Wi-Fi, opened up his phone and said, wow, I, I live in a condo complex. He said, wow, all of these networks I could hack into. He counted 18 different networks within the range of his cell phone that potentially if he was a bad guy, he could figure out how to get onto. And who knows what organizations he, I know there are some people in my, uh, in my building that work for the federal government. Have we maybe underestimated potentially the threat landscape rather than, and not suggesting that we're not overprotecting, but have we maybe underestimated the threat landscape given the breadth of the remote work that we've undertaken? Francis, I, in my opinion, the answer is yes. I continue to be amazed um, in my discussions with my clients and potential clients and just others in casual conversation about the lack of understanding with cybersecurity. And, and I get it, right? You know, I, I couldn't perform a medical procedure, right? I, I know that it's a domain and a profession in and of itself. However, let's go back to medical. I know how to put a Band-Aid on. I actually, you know, I've taken some basic first aid. So I look at cybersecurity as basic first aid to protect yourself, your family, your mission, if you're federal government, your business, if you're there. And I know that it's hard. Small businesses, wow, how do you keep up with it? So I think the answer is yes, that we have. There are basic things that you can do. Change the password on your network, not the one factory out of the box. Make it hard. Yes, I know good hackers can get through it. But force people to make it hard, just like you lock your car right? Just force people to have to have greater capability than just walking in, you know, opening the door of your car, getting in, hot wiring it and leaving. Yeah. So force people to just raise the bar a little bit by getting a little bit smarter. Renee Wynn, it's great to talk to you, my friend. Thanks very much for coming on today. Great, Francis. Thank you so much. You can read more about agency back to the office plans in today's show notes at the daily I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, the future of blockchain in government. Is it a breakthrough or is it a gimmick? The chief financial officer at the National Science Foundation, Mike Wetklow, has insight on Wednesday's show. That Daily Scoop podcast debuts Wednesday afternoon at fedscoop.com and wherever you get your shows.
The Department of Homeland Security has new power to hire cyber talent faster and pay them more. The agency has thousands of cyber jobs to fill at the agency level and in the components. Angela Bailey's the chief human capital officer at DHS. Angie, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. What can you do now that you couldn't do before Congress gave you this new authority? Welcome. Well, first of all, Francis, thank you so much for this opportunity. It's just something that I really enjoy is having um, having these conversations with you over the years. So this is awesome. There's a couple of things that, that we're really pretty um, pleased with. And this is, I would call it some key shifts in how we actually are able to hire, hire folks. So one of the first things is, is our ability to really focus in on the mission, the people and the skills and getting away from these things called predefined positions you know, in terms of duties. So now we focus in on the people with the skills that are critical to the mission. And that that sets it apart from really anything that you would find within the federal government. And then the other thing that I really like is we're now able to like, in looking at these skills, we can then consider a range of available talent. Like you can come in at entry level or mid-career or executive, but it's all about your talent and your skills versus, geez, you know, are you a 22, 10, 15? Like, which means nothing to to most people, right? So it's really nice that we're able to do this. The other thing that I love is that we're gonna be able to seek out our top talent via multiple sources. So if there's a black hat event or if there's a hackathon or whatever versus what we used to call or always called post and pray on USA jobs, you know, now at least we get to actually seek out the talent. And then the third thing that I love is that we actually have built these state-of-the-art assessments. So now our can- candidates will actually be able to do simulations and perform DHS work. So rather than just like writing a resume and telling us that you know how to walk, talk, and chew bubble gum, like you have to actually prove it. And I think the hiring managers, that's one of the things that our hiring managers are really excited about um, is this ability to see that people can actually do the job. And then the other thing that we're doing from a salary standpoint is we're able to customize the salary ranges based on the cyber labor market data. And that, so that was the beauty of getting rid of the classification and qualification um, that is under the general schedule. It gives us the ability to say, well, what's the market paying? Because we all know that entry level is not paid very well in the federal government. We now are able to be highly competitive with that entry level market. All of that capability means that you're going to be doing all of these things dramatically differently, too. What have you had to do or what are you going to have to do to be able to administer this and to enable the components to be able to administer this, too? Well, it takes... You know, I, I think earlier, and, and maybe this is a question you were going to ask me, but like, what does the planning look like, right, for a massive shift like this? And that's what this really is. And, and so when you think about it, I, you know, sometimes like when I would go into um, Travis, um, Travis's office, it would look like something out of an Einstein, you know, like an Einstein movie, right? Like everything was like all the pieces and parts and arrows and bubbles and all these different things that you have to say, these are all independent things that have to come together in order for us to administer this program. So you can't just say, well, we're gonna offer competitive salaries. Okay, but what does that look like? Like, do you have the labor market surveys that that are done? And how do you know that you're actually paying something that's competitive? If you say, you know, well, it's no longer gonna be a GS 22, 10, 15 IT specialist. Well, and, and now you have to actually describe the skills. You have to actually think about what it is that you really want 
that person to do? What kind of background do you want them to have? What kind of education, et cetera? So I would say that what it really looks like is it's just taking and being able to see all of the different things, all the different elements, and then bringing all of those elements together in a way that creates a quote unquote system that you can now hire folks under and, and pay folks and train them and, and et cetera. And so it's, um, it, it's just been an amazing process. To, to watch, to be honest. My colleague, Dave Ditchpeer writes on fedscoop.com, the uh, cybersecurity talent management system will also fill vacancies at uh, CISA and the office of the CIO within DHS. Cybersecurity service jobs will open across several DHS agencies with cyber missions in 2022. Um, what do you need to do in order to enable that? Or is that similar to the process that you just laid out for what you're doing at HQ? Yes. Yeah, so right now what we're doing is we have, um, it is, it's concentrated on CISA and the CIO operation for right now, because uh, honestly, this is so brand new and so revolutionary that what we didn't want to do is like go too big too soon. And so we have roughly 150 jobs that we're that we're really honing in on right now. And I have to tell you, we have uh, more than 10,000 people have actually viewed our site already since we went live on the 15th. We've received over 1,500 applications, more than 800 people have completed their assessments. So it's, you know, it's really, there's a lot of interest in this and that is just hugely helpful. And so what we will do then is work with both CISA and the CIO shop to say, you got all of this talent sitting in front of you. I know today you may have thought that this is what you wanted to hire, but wow, look at what's out here. And then just open up the aperture for people to be able to hire what they need based on people's talent, right? And so I think the really cool thing is I was talking to our CIO the other day is he's like, look, Angie, if you get folks in here that have certain amount of talent, even though I wasn't thinking about that, let me know because you know that's somebody I'm going to be interested in. And success breeds success. We all know that. So once CISA and CIO really get rock and rolling on all of this, then the other components will start rolling in, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes nobody wants to be the first one, but um, I mean, God love them. CISA and CIO say, <laughs> you know what? We'll be the first ones. And then the other components are absolutely, they're kind of standing in line, getting ready um, to then start rolling in. And what I mean by that is identifying what kind of skills that they're going to need, what kind of competencies, what kind of mission set are they going to have? And then saying, hey, what's sitting out there that, that's already been through all the assessments that we could just tap into and we can just bring on board. So, you know, it's none of this, like I've got to figure out my job and write a job description and post it, et cetera. I mean, the sky's going to be the limit with, with all the people that they're going to have access to, to be able to bring in and meet their mission needs. What does that mean for evaluating the candidates though, when the criteria is less Fit, does this person fit the items on the job description and the criteria are more, this person's able to do these things and we need that much of these things. Does that change the way that, that one evaluates the individual candidates for a particular position, Angie? Yeah, because you know, you're absolutely right. So today under the general schedule, you write a job announcement, you do crediting plans, blah, blah, blah. People then know how to write their keywords to match what that job announcement is. Instead, what we're saying is, yeah, 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 we got all that. Instead, here's the talent that we're looking, here's the kinds of skills that we're looking for. Here's the assessments 
that sees whether or not you have those skills. If you have the skills that we're looking for, we'll then work with you on what the quote unquote job description is going to look like after the fact. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, like, so there's no, there's no like writing in your resume, any keywords. It's, can you actually do the the job? Mm -hmm. And if you can actually do what we're asking you to do, whether it's network forensics or, or, uh, you know, IT security stuff, if you can do those kinds of skills, then we will find the work. We know what work we have. We will then place those folks, work with them to place them into those particular skill areas and then, yeah, then we'll 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 do the do the rest. I, d- I don't envision job descriptions. You know, I envision instead, hey, here's this gig, <laughs> here's this opportunity, here's what we'd like you to do, um, and here's what we're willing to pay you for it. And oh, by the way, here's your performance standards. Right? This is what we expect you to perform in this amount of time. This is the level we expect you to perform, and. If you, if you take and get additional education or additional certifications, because that's what we need, guess what? We're going to compensate you for that too. Mm-hmm. And so we don't do those kinds of things today. It's very, um, it's very private sector like, but it's not private sector because we're the federal government. We, ha- we still have rules. We still have uniform guidelines and, you know, regulations and different things that we have to follow with regard to our civilian workforce. Um, but this gives us the opportunity to really stretch beyond anything that we've ever done in the past. On the macro level, one thing the federal government's not been great at, Angie, is the ability of one agency to know who's applied at another agency and and be able to analyze the candidates the other agency didn't hire. Are you or could you build something into this to at least at a micro level in, within DHS when this is fully mature, allow the components to see, well, they hired 10 people, they had 25 applicants, and maybe some of those 15 people that are left might be good for us too? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's the beautiful thing of this. So this right now is being operationalized out of my office. And so because we're centralizing that right now, and again, we're doing that because we just want to make sure we do this right. You know, so you don't take something like this and just throw it out to the agencies or the components and say, good luck with that. So instead, to your very point, as we get in um, 1,500 applications and they go through their assessments and stuff, CISA, CIO. So every Friday we meet with the com- those components and we say, here's the talent. As more components start coming in, we'll say, here's the talent. Right. And so there will be a board. I a cybersecurity board, if you will, that will manage this talent. And that board will be chaired by CISA and by the Deputy Undersecretary for Management, uh, with Chico, of course, playing a role. But that board will then look at all the talent. They will look at what's the future of the mission that we're going to have. Where should we be recruiting that kind of talent? How are we going to fill our needs with the talent that's out there? And then how do we share that? Because it's in DHS's collective best interest to make sure that we have a strong cybersecurity workforce across all of DHS, not just within CISA. I appreciate the kind comments at the beginning of this conversation about the discussions that you and I have had over the years. Um, all of the work that you just described uh, in, in uh, as far as the Chico is likely to be done by somebody else because you're retiring. And this is likely our last conversation uh, on the record as uh, with you as a government employee. Uh, congratulations on your retirement. What's coming for you, Angie? What are we what are we going to do without you? <laughs> well, thank you. Um, yeah, it's been an incredible 
40 plus year career. And um, it's really been the highlight of my career is to end it here at DHS and to um, help the team deliver on our cyber talent management system. So, um, you know, it's just like a, a really cool thing. I always say this though, I hope at the end of the day, what people take away the most is that I just cared, right? I cared about the mission. I cared about the people and, and I just really, you know, love, love the relationships that we've been able to establish over the years. So the future for me is in some ways, it's like, however the spirit moves me. Um, I don't have, you know, a lot of like these plans, specific things that I want to do. Um, I hope I'm kind of part of the gig economy, if you will. Right. Like just want to, I just want to dabble in different things and want to expand and get out into different areas. Would love to do like executive leadership retreats, um, you know, be like a, a journey guide for executives or for women that are trying to move up and move up into these kinds of positions and things. And so, I, you know, I don't have anything mapped out. I'm the kind of person who just jumps off the cliff and goes, you know, what? <laughs> the wings are going to come like when those wings come, you know, I'll fly and I'll figure it out from there. And um, that to me is like hugely uh, exciting. Can't wait to travel. Can't wait to spend time with my grandchildren, my friends, you know, so yeah, I'm, I'm so looking forward to this next chapter, but I'd be remiss if I didn't say just how incredibly uh, proud I am of the, of the Chico team. And they have just been the most phenomenal team uh, that I've had the pleasure of working with. And, and Francis, so happy our path has that our, uh, you know, that we've crossed paths um, and we've uh, had part of this journey together. It's just been fantastic. Well, I hope you continue to fly on to the Daily Scoop podcast. I'm grateful to talk to you. One more quick thought about the CTMS. How would you advise your successor, whoever that may be, to judge that it's working the way that it was intended to work? Are the positions filled? We've got a lot of cybersecurity vacancies this should enable us to fill them and not just fill them. Like it's not just about putting plugs in, in holes in a dam. This is about getting legit talent in here. They can actually secure this nation's uh, cyber, um, you know, cyber um, force. And so I just, I think that that's it. The increased um, expertise of our cybersecurity talent, retaining that top talent um, for desired periods of time. We're never going to have these folks for 30 years, but what's our desired point of time is it three years then we should figure out a way to be able to i think retain them so it's again i think it's reducing the amount of vacancies increasing expert expertise and and then retaining that top talent so yeah that's that's what i think my uh, successor will want to at least keep their finger on uh the pulse of for the for the for the duration and then go from go from there a 40 plus year career in the federal government you must have started when you were five years old angela bailey thanks very much it's great to see you <laughs> you're more than welcome thank you so much you can read more about the new cyber talent management system at dhs in today's show notes at the daily the daily scoop podcast is available on all the podcast platforms if you've already rated the show on your platform of choice thanks for doing that high ratings and good reviews of the show help more people find it the daily scoop podcast is a production of the scoop news group in washington dc james mahoney helps me put the show together and the entire scoop news group team contributes the cfo at the national science foundation mike wetclose on wednesday's daily scoop podcast until then i'm the host francis rose thank you very much for listening